Welcome to Flopography, where we revisit old pop albums that are known by many, not because of their critical or commercial success, but because of their lack thereof. These albums received the designation of flop. But did we give them a fair shake? Hello and welcome to season three, episode one of Flopography. Mike, we have broken the car one of the one of our cardinal rules of flops, and we've taken a bit of a hiatus. We did. Yeah, that's anything. a good point. That's a very good point. Bringing it back to um, kind of the themes that we've had, we we were did no episodes in 2022. So, but I think Steve and I are back in action. We were actually refreshed and reinvigorated, um, especially after seeing our Spotify Wrapped. Steve, remember that with those amazing stats that you all have helped us get? Yeah, no, that was exciting. And honestly, like it was interesting to see all of the different countries and um, the different demographics of the people who've been, you know, listening and been fans of us over the years. We really appreciate all of you. So, with that, Mike, I'm sure everyone is interested what you've been up to the past year it looks like you're in a new spot uh yes you want to tell everybody your big news yeah so i moved and um this is my office slash recording studio um it was time to get out of the condo get a home with more space so i can be creative and have space to do this type of stuff um i even have my you better work bink i'm gonna bleep it out (laughs) mantra from Brittany. so yes i moved Steve, I don't know if you remember, you moved in season two, had a new location. So I did. I relocated to LA and we've been on uh, the house hunt ourselves. Uh, and it's been it's been a long road. The housing market has was was a bit insane in 2022. So you should be very thankful that you found a spot, Mike. But things are cooling down. So we're we're gonna be on the hunt as well. But it's been, you know, a really fun and exciting year in LA. So I'm really excited to kick off season three, episode one with, uh, drumroll please, Lord's Solar Power. Maybe I'm the stone that the nails on. Mike, my first question as we get into the background of the album and Lord in general is entering the re-listening. What was your perspective on Lord? When Lord first came out, like she was massive. Remember Royals? Like they played it everywhere. So it was so easy to not like her because like that song, to be honest, worst song ever she's had. It's really annoying. Um, <clears throat> then her second album came out and I just fell in love with her work. Um, she hasn't been hit to her first record, but second is just amazing. We'll, I know we'll talk about that eventually. Um, but going into this one, I was excited. You know, the last album really excited me by Lord, And so the anticipation was certainly there because Lord likes to do what pop stars should not do and take a hiatus in between albums. So I was passive about her initial hits, Royals, Team. Uh, I started listening to her discography when she released Melodrama. And I thought that album was incredible. It was a favorite of Jenny and mine back in 2017. We really like to get into our feelings. I thought I was a genius, but now I'm 22. Uh, the album was released August 20th, 2021. The popular music of the time, Mike, 
R&B, pop, hip hop had a really great year. The number one song of the year was The Weeknd's Blinding Lights, uh, Doja Cat's Kiss Me More, and uh, Dua Lipa's Levitating were the, were the big hits of the year. Um, it was the debut of Olivia Rodrigo, um, the top female star that year who dominated the charts with Good For You and Driver's License. So it, there was a bit of this like alternative renaissance with like Good For You and, and sort of like Avril Lavigne, Machine Gun Kelly, you know, that type of music, which with that alternative, you would think it would be almost like a prime space for Lord to launch a new album. You know, it's interesting too, because I mean, God, that feels like forever ago, even though it wasn't, but it was also very pop driven, which is unusual because R&B and hip hop always will dominate the airwaves in my opinion, in some fashion, but like all the songs you mentioned were in line with pop. So Lord takes complete left in that entire direction that's going on at this time. Exactly. And the stage that she was in her career, uh, this was Lord's third studio album. She's 26 years old, uh, and it had been four years since she released her sophomore album, Melodrama. And we talked a little bit of, we'll, we'll get more into her hiatus because it's, it's definitely part of you know, my analysis of the album. But I want to read you this quote um, that I found. It, it's, when Melodrama came out, I had this moment of being, ah, I'm not always going to be number one for nine weeks. Now I've settled in this place where people call you, then one day they won't, and that's all good. I'm a different part of the meal. I know who I am. That's That was Lord's quote going into Solar Power. She's referring to Royals, which spent nine weeks at number one, um, and the fact that you know Melodrama didn't produce the same amount of singles, and so I think she felt a little bit of freedom coming into this record. Yeah, and especially after a critically acclaimed album like Melodrama, um, I think we often see pop stars try to go in a, like an alt direction because they're kind of riding the high from critical acclaim, and they're like, okay, I can do whatever I want now, and that's what we see. Great. Let's get into the numbers, Mike, so we can talk about the album. So uh, the first week sales for Solar Power was 56,000. Uh, it debuted at number five on Billboard compared to Melodrama, which was over 100,000 at 109,000 at number one on Billboard. Uh, Pure Heroin, which was her debut album, 129,000, which is really good for a debut album without you know much of a fan base yet and number three on billboard. So this was her lowest first week sales. There was only one single on her whole album that charted on the billboard hot 100. And it was for a single week at number 64, uh, solar power. She also released the buzz single stone at a nail salon, mood ring and fallen fruit. Mike, any of those ring a bell? Oh yeah. I liked mood ring and cause it was so groovy and it was, we're going to get to it so soon, but it's so I, different. I totally, I totally called that. I listened to the album on my way home from work today. And I was like, again. you know, I was like, Mood Ring is going to be a mic fave. I could, it's a I vibe. Could, it's a vibe. I could, I could tell. Pure Heroin's biggest hit, Royals, was number one, was on the chart for 44 weeks. Melodrama's biggest hit uh, was Green Light, and it was number 19 for nine weeks. So not that impressive of a single run, but um, I think a lot of the general pub public was more um, into Green Light than, than Solar Power. In terms of the promotion, 
of solar power. It was supported by a music video and it was released on the day of the solar eclipse. Mm, so fun. So total album sales, I think this is like what we look at for Lords and she's not like a huge singles artist outside of her first two singles. Um, it's it's really about longevity with her. Pure Heroin spent 107 weeks charting, is three times platinum. Melodrama spent 43 weeks charting and is gold. Solar Power, four weeks charting. No certifications. Amazing, amazing. Big drop off. So critic scores, this is where Lord usually does pretty well. Pure Heroin was 79 out of 100 on uh, Metacritic. Melodrama, 91 out of 100. It was nominated for Album of the Year at the Grammys. I could argue that it should have won. Uh, and Solar Power was 69 out of 100. So it wasn't that bad of a score critically, comparatively. But if you actually read some of the reviews, it had a lot. It was a bit more polarizing than her first two. All right, let's get into the analysis of the album, the, the fun part, right, Mike? Um, yeah. So I want you to describe your initial reaction to the album in one word. Uh, I feel bad saying this, but bored. That was the first word that popped up in my mind. First word. How about you? I'm I'm sort of in the same camp. I would say anticlimactic. So uh, I think it didn't have like the energy of or the hooks of pop radio. Um, and I'm not saying melodrama was really made for for radio, but I loved like a lot of the songs in melodrama had like this tonality shift, where it would be like you know, uh, more of a ballad than going to more of an upbeat song. And it just really kept you entertained. Um, it was very unique in that. And a lot of solar power really blended together. It was supposed to be this celebratory record, still in the midst of COVID, but following the vaccine, right? It was like this moment um, of celebration. It was the first summer, but it didn't really feel that way. And I've read a lot about the fact that it's like this album about nature, uh, but the melodies and production feel like a bit drabby in melodrama there was a lot of like slower ballad songs but if you listen to like a liability for example there's so much passion and heart in the vocals of that you didn't get any of that in in um in solar power so that's why i'd say it's an anticlimactic what melodrama had was the production to back up the emotions and in this one like i think she even said like kind of Happily, there's only one song with 808 drums in it. And that's kind of a big shift in terms of how production can support emotion. What was your low moment of the era or of the album? The lack of promotion? Correct me if I'm wrong, but she did not do a lot of actual television pushes and overall like trying to go out there and hawk out this record and talk about the music especially considering, you know, I actually didn't mind her release, you know, Lord is not active on social media and she did come out with, you know, kind of teasers that went into the, the shot surprise release of the song, but to then not have no follower to me, that's the low moment from a holistic perspective. To me, the low moment of the era was the release timing. It's, it's a summer album and it was released <laughs> at the end of August. And even looking at the cover, which featured obviously her, her at the beach showing off her butt, it was like her an viral <laughs> moment. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, it could have felt like a celebration of summer uh, and it had a breezy nature and it would, it just didn't connect during the fall period. Additionally, it was like 
the summer of going out. We were talking about recording, I think, at one point. And you're like, I can't. It's like the I first summer that. I'm vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just going out. I'm finally going back to bars and restaurants. And this was a toned down album. Like you were interested in kind of the party albums. Going out. I mean, you're right. We were, I mean, like everybody wanted that. You just want to shake your booty. And to be honest, their album cover is so misleading in that way, too. Because when I first saw that, I'm like, ooh, Lord is coming. Lord is coming because this is not like her. I know she's been very traditionally dressed, I think, over her, especially her early parts of her career. It's kind of a letdown in terms of the context of where when she released this. All right, Mike, what song should have been a single? This is hard because there's not a lot of stellar ones. I'm going to go with Oceanic Feeling only because it had like a little, I don't know, to me, if I had a more of electro vibe and that was cool and it almost had hints of what was in melodrama. I would say that one, but I'm going to be honest with you, Steve, none of these songs are, and she knows this, are radio friendly. Maybe you're a big star. I would say Secrets from a Girl Who's Seen It All was the one song that like i started like bopping my head to as it played i was really excited just as a complete aside when she had so that's actually robin in in that song uh you know who robin i read about robin dancing on my own formerly like she was the former pop queen remember she had a what do you know what it takes back in the day on radio it's like i don't don't remember one of her songs show me love yes Um, as well but like so she did the intro i will say that song was a vibe and she underutilized robin in that track Mike, what aged best from the album, re-listening now? I know it's only been, what, a year and a half, but like, what to you aged, you know, the best from the album, from the era, from what Lord can take away to her fourth studio album? Kind of in line with what you said, the fourth studio album, what I actually, it's only been a year, but Lord has already come out to talk about this album and basically saying, it was a shift and she's alluded to the fact that, you know, she's moving forward and that she may create more bangers. I think, is that, I forgot what word she used, but something along the line of bangers in the horizon. And what I appreciate and think what's aged best about it is that she's being gracious and accepting the work for what it was. And it's, it's not, it's not a terrible album. And it's it's a good album to which when I did this I had a glass of wine um, in my my room and just like had colorful lights on and it's a good vibe right but as an artist being able to accept that work for what it was I think that's what's aging well and could continue to age well being a gamer down the line yeah I mean we see that all the time where artists don't recognize or like own up to something yes. not performing to their expectations. The writing and the concept is what aged the best for me. Her writing is the best part of her music. There was one lyric from Secrets from a Girl Who's Seen It All. It says, your emotional baggage can be picked up at Carousel too. Yes. I I thought that was like a really good lyric. The second part is the concept, Mike. I thought a record about nature amidst like our climate crisis seems something like especially Gen Z would resonate with. But the music didn't meet the ambition to like break through commercially for me. 
did you know like she traveled to Antarctica to gain perspective on the climate crisis to inform this album? Yeah, well, and she kind of wrote this album in solitude in general. She she immersed herself in that that in nature. And I think like most of us, right? I mean, we, in 2020, I was on bike rides and walks every freaking day because I wasn't going anywhere else. So she truly went for the theme. Um, I don't know if a majority of the album carries it well. I, I, it doesn't, it's, I think to me, it's a celebration of the sun and good vibes and so forth and, you know, just introspection. But the delivery in terms of like her being able to really go in on it, I feel like sometimes it was half-assed. Like she did the whole non-physical CD thing. Do, did you hear about that? Where she didn't actually have a physical CD, but had the box. And, but the box is, you know, biodegradable and so forth, but it's still like <laughs> clutter just to get a freaking download card or something. So I feel like, to be honest, I didn't feel the theme as much as perhaps she had intended. It's a good marketing um, scheme, but not necessarily a, a concentrated effort. Let's hope the Mike, I guess that leads me to my next question. What what didn't age well? The song with her about her dog. I mean, it's a good song, but like, so for, for those who don't know, there was a whole album before this where um, Lord was writing about Curl and her dog who passed away. And like, she was writing an album and then the dog passed away and completely like scrapped everything and started with a brand new album. So I do appreciate she got that song in there, but like, that in general, like that has a cloud over this because people were literally like, did you really trash an entire album just to make it because of your dog? Like, so it's it's pretty interesting. I think that's what hasn't aged well, that 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 excuse. To me, what didn't age well is going all in on Jack Antonoff's production. He's like the producer of the moment with Taylor Swift's Folklore and Evermore and Midnight. So like, I think that like, but it's hard for other female artists to really compare themselves commercially to Taylor Swift. It's like, a, she's in a different category. And I know Lord has worked with Jack previously, but I felt there wasn't much differentiation between each song. And Lord got a lot of flack about the production. Specifically, the AV Club pointed out the similarities between Lana Del Rey's Wild at Heart and Solar Power's Stone at the Nail Salon. I think she needed to venture outside of her comfort zone a little bit. I mean, she worked like solely with Jack Antonoff. I'm not saying she shouldn't have worked with him, but to have a little bit of diversity in the room. So Jack Antonoff, for those who aren't familiar with him, he produces, yes, like you said, Lana Ray, a lot of Taylor Swift as of late, and... Um, has done Pink. Uh, he has done songs for a lot of pop stars. But like to to everyone's point too, I think Lord got a lot of crap for this because she said this is not a Jack Antonoff record. This is a Lord record, and she was kind of defensive about her decision to do an album solely with him. I like Jack Antonoff's productions, but I'm going to be completely honest with you. His work, it, I feel, it does feel like it's heavily recycled. And you feel like you've heard his song before across all artists that he works with. This album, I will say, I like albums that have a consistent producer from start to finish. It, it provides more cohesion, which we got in this record. I think no one can can debate that. But it wasn't the right 
sound that I felt she could have done to help support her her lightness and, and love and so forth that she wanted to promote in this album. With that, what do you think is your rationale for what went wrong? The lack of radio hits or even just something for someone to bop their head to. Um, no rhythm in, in the music. Uh, I would say that's it. If you have one big hit on an album, it can totally influence the amount of chart run for your parent album. And so I totally agree with you, Mike. When you don't have a hit, it's really difficult. I mean, even Melodrama didn't have any huge hits and spent 43 weeks on the chart compared to like Pure Heroin, which spent over 100. But which one is more critically acclaimed? It's Melodrama. But the reason being is Pure Heroin is backed by two major hits. For me, it was, you know, really what went wrong is the way she disappeared between melodrama and solar power. I do think like the surprise drops, the lack of engagement with fans, lack of social media presence only leads to like successful eras for a few select artists like a Beyonce, a Taylor Swift. And after she wrapped the world tour for a second album, she went to New Zealand and was really hardly seen in public. She had a tech detox, no social media. She was really reconnecting with nature to write the album. And then... To that point, Mike, it didn't materialize in in the ways that it should if she was going to really live out that concept. So I think, you know, if she was going to like not promote it, it's like, you know, let's go all in in, yeah. in that way. But I think I think that was really the the rationale for what went wrong for me. If she had almost like truncated the timeline between releases. She started in June with the uh, first single, and then the the next one for was Stone the Nail Salon in July, and then August for Mood Ring right ahead of the album release. If you don't have something out of the gate, like a smash record, you can't have the luxury of a long timeline because I feel like you can lose people in the process. And you know, someone I like like me as a consumer, first song, okay, eh. It's okay. So wait for the next one. More of a letdown. So you're not going to get excited for the album itself. I almost feel she should have just released it all at once and been done with it. You make a really good point because that's exactly what Taylor Swift did for Evermore and for uh, Folklore, which neither of those songs had big radio hits at all. I think that is a strategy for someone who's an albums artist Wearing SPF 3000 for the ultraviolet race. All right, now it's time to get the fans' perspective. We've pulled three tweets with varying perspectives on solar power. The first is by Pellin Sucks. Solar Power by Lord is a fantastic album, and I hope people come around to it sooner than later. It wasn't an album made for the charts or the pop girly aesthetic. It's an honest, <laughs> intimate look into one of the greatest minds pop music has ever seen. You know what's funny is that in that, for, first of all, I love pop girly, but in the mind, this album very much is in Lord's mind. It's really what she spat out in the lyrics. The next tweet is I just heard songs from Solar Power in public for the first time in a Target in Hawaii. I just hope Lord knows this and that her music found its target audience. Oh, that's so shady. All right. The final tweet, Mike, is uh, actually sharing Miley Cyrus's new album, Endless Summer Vacation. 
And it says, I love it when artists release summer themed albums before summer. So you can actually enjoy it during the summertime. Looking at you, Lord, releasing solar power when summer was basically over. It's so weird because like so many artists actually do that. Like they release summer albums in August. And I, I always am banging my head. I'm like, you're who's listening to music in August? If you're going to wait, wait for freaking fall where, you know, it's people are going to gobble something up. It's so ridiculous. Okay, Mike, it's the time has come. Lord solar power with a bit of perspective flop or not. It's a, I'm going to show my hoodie that says flopography flop. Um, Contact us for merch, by the way. I know seriously, we we have merch y'all, but it's a flop. Steve, I think she's okay with that too. And to be honest, it kind of shines the turd a little bit in terms of like, she's come out already and like talked about the album and it's basically said she's moving forward. So it's a flop. She knows it. Everyone knows it. Is it a horrible album? I've heard worse, but it's definitely one that is not going to grab new fans. It's not going to try to aim for the charts. And to be honest, that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think that's Lord's intention. You're right. And so I would consider this a flop, uh, both commercially and critically. I just feel the album wasn't like, it didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Sometimes in these ambitious concept albums, I mean, remember Man of the Woods from Justin Timberlake, like they're difficult to execute in the right way. The fact that it was like a summer celebratory album, but like we're talking about themes like climate crisis, which are very heavy, like that was a little bit at odds. So I would say it's a flop. I don't think this is the end of the road for Lord, though. I think she definitely has a lot of like, really vapid fans that like is similar to Alana Del Rey who can have like a few flops and, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think Lord just needs to like take a little bit of the pressure off building her fourth studio album and have a little bit more fun. I can see her doing just that and saying she learned she has to stop taking herself so seriously. She's 26 years old um, when she wrote this album. And What were like- you doing at 26, Mike? I was living my best life. I still am, right? But like, you know, you can't just be barefoot walking around grassy lands and being one with earth and so forth. Like, I feel like she has it in her. She's going to do it. But I also, I will say, we have to commend her for being an artist. I would say like Carly Rae Jepsen or Charlie XCX that has... And Tovlo, Tuvalu, actually pronounce it, but they release these big records and they don't let that be the be all end all. They don't become uh, sophomore slums and artists that, that go fade away. They have their fandom and they feed their fandom every couple years and so forth. And they're an artist, a big artist in their own right. I, I do think Lord can also go that path and continue on that Carly, Charlie, Tovlo path. I don't think Lord ever had the intention of being this like hit maker. Like, I think that she had the intention of producing like really thoughtful and interesting, like alternative pop music, but the massive success of Royals and team and her parent album put her in this place where she is being compared with the hit makers of the world. And so 
I'm excited to see what she does in her next album. But Mike, that wraps up our first uh, episode of season three. Uh, We're so excited to bring you more. And we have, uh, I believe, a fan request uh, that we're going to be reviewing next time. Uh, So looking forward to continuing to you know, speak with all of you throughout the season. We read the Q and A's that you all submit and um, on Spotify specifically that you all have, please continue to like reach out to us. I know Steve, we've had people go on Instagram and ask us where we're at. We're back. We're ready to go. Keep all of your suggestions coming because now's the time we're going to spread out our episodes. I think a little bit differently. um, So that way we can have more real time engagement with you. So please do that. Um, Follow us at Flavography Podcast across social media platforms where we are active. We want to talk to you, hear from you, and you'll get updates about the pod. Um, If you um, are watching us and want to listen to us, tell your friends to go to anchor.fm slash Flopography Podcast. Every link to everywhere where you're hosting this podcast is there. If you are on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, And then last not least again thanks for the support we're so excited to be back and rock the season three all right to 2023 and we look forward to many more flops yes keep them coming